Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. All right. Tonight we're doing a prophecy update. We're going to be looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And so we have been in uh, first and last couple of months, 2 Thessalonians. We're going to keep looking at 2 Thessalonians on these prophecy updates because Paul talks a lot about end times events, as he will tonight in these verses that we'll look at tonight. And then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things going on in Israel and in the United States. And one odd thing that happened in the church in Germany that I'll mention at the very end of the message. And so I want to go ahead and pray and we'll get into our update tonight. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your work in our lives and for this opportunity to come together here at the church to worship you. For those, Lord, who are listening on our radio station, those who are watching through social media or through a website, or maybe they'll view this at a later time, hear this message at a later date, we pray your blessing be upon us all, Lord. Let your spirit uh, be in the teaching of your word tonight. Help us to consider not only your written word, that which you, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had Paul pinned to the church in Thessalonica, but also, Lord, consider the events of our world today and the alertness that we should have as believers in Jesus Christ in these last days. So keep our hearts open tonight, Lord, our minds open. Help us to be attentive. Teach us by your spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is a short, five verses long. I'm going to go ahead and read the context, and then we'll get into the teaching of the Word of God. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we asked you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? As far as we know, scripturally, Paul was only with the church for three weeks on his second missionary journey. He was there a very short period of time before he got ran out of town. And we don't know if he made a second visit or not, but we know that he wrote two letters. And even the limited time whether he had visited them more than once, but we do read of three Sabbaths that he, in the book of Acts, had spent there in Thessalonica. And so we know he was there for three weeks. 
whether he was there more often than that, that or never got back to the church and just simply wrote them and corresponded to them in these epistles, he taught them about end-time events, but there had arisen a confusion about these things, largely given to us in verse 2, because it seems that the people had been shaken, they were troubled, uh, by word, by spirit, as if from us. It seems that people were coming and trying to represent themselves in connection with Paul, teaching things that Paul never taught. So it begins in verse 1, And now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our gathering together to him, we ask you. So in chapter 1, Paul taught about the coming Day when Christ will be revealed to the world. We better know it as the day of the Lord, the second coming, the day of the Lord that can encompass at least 1,007 years. When you include the regathering of Israel, that's already began, but the regathering of Israel into our land, the rapture of the church, the seven years of tribulation, the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth, right there in those last two the seven years of tribulation and the thousand year or millennial reign of Christ, that's 1,007 years. So in chapter 1, he taught about the day, the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He talks about the Lord returning. And here he speaks about the gathering together to him. First, there is going to be a gathering of all people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, according to the word of the Lord, at the Lord's second coming of both believers and unbelievers. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-five thirty-two, all the nations will gather before him and he will separate it from one another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. However, Paul's reference here in Second Thessalonians 2, 1, our gathering together is exclusive to believers. There's going to be a gathering of all nations. And that's Christ coming to judge the world, both believers and unbelievers. But here Paul is referring to, it seems to me, he said, our gathering together. This is an event that many Bible teachers believe is referring to the rapture of the church, as Paul did write about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. There's going to be a gathering together. It could also refer to the second coming. So some point, this is the rapture. This phrase, our gathering together. Others point to it and say, this is the second coming of Christ when the church is gathered to him. I'm kind of thinking, couldn't it possibly be both? But in verse 2, Paul warned them, asked them not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ has come. So here he seems to connect verse 1, that gathering together, 
our gathering together to him in verse 2 he refers so contextually he refers to the day of Christ he refers to what I believe is the second coming so contextually if we keep the flow going that he said our gathering together to him and you're acting as if the day of Christ has already come I don't want you to be troubled about that that hasn't happened yet is what Paul is trying to tell them we learned in chapter 1 that the believers of Thessalonica, they were under many persecutions and tribulations. Paul said that these sufferings were actually the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. They were suffering, and God would repay with tribulation those who troubled them. However, their suffering was not directly related to the Lord's second coming. It's a condition of the church that we live in today. Until the Lord comes, we will see tribulation in this world. But regarding the day of Christ, Paul already wrote that we are to wait for Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 So Jesus, he'll deliver us from the wrath to come. I think one of the clearest examples of this type of deliverance is found with Lot and his being in Sodom when God brought judgment against that city. At that time in Genesis 18, it tells us that the Lord came to Abraham with two angels and after Sarah had fixed them a meal, the Lord said to Abraham and Genesis 18:10 Sarah your wife shall have a son. Initially we know that Sarah laughed after hearing that because she was already 89 years old and she's thinking, yeah, I'm going to get pregnant and have a baby when I'm 90 years old. That doesn't happen. It didn't happen then. It doesn't happen now. And yet over time her laughter actually turned into joy as she did have a son from Abraham and they named him Isaac which means laughter but after all that the two men that came with the Lord left and went to Sodom and the Lord told Abraham of his judgment that was coming against Sodom and we know there that Abraham petitioned for the redemption of Sodom saying, would you slay the righteous with the wicked? And, and then he kind of asked the Lord, just, Lord, give me an opportunity. Would you spare the city for 50? If there were 50 righteous, would you spare the city for 50? And the Lord said, if there are 50 righteous, I'll spare it for 50. And then Abraham, uh, again, he said, Lord, just forgive me to even ask this, but if there was 45, how about 45? And the Lord said, yeah, 45. And then again, Abraham asked 40, 30, 20, finally 10. And the Lord said, I will not forsake them for the sake of the 10. But the problem was there wasn't 10 righteous in the city of Sodom. Ultimately, only Lot and his two virgin daughters were spared Sodom's destruction. Even Lot's wife was caught up in the destruction because she looked back. So on that day, the two angels said something I believe is very significant 
to Lot and his family because Lot was delaying leaving. And the angels took him and his family, set him outside the city, and they said this in Genesis 19:17, Escape for your life, lest you be destroyed. And then Lot begged that they could go to this small city nearby called Zoar, and the angel per- permitted it. And then the angel said, Genesis 19:22, Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. And thus the judgment of the Lord couldn't fall upon Sodom until Lot and his daughters were in that city and they were safe. In fact, Peter referenced this with Noah and Lot and the judgments that Noah coming upon the whole world, Lot, the judgment that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. They teach the same thing as Peter wrote in 2 Peter 2, 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So too will the Lord deliver us who now believe. So they were not, we are not to be shaken in mind, we're not to be troubled either by spirit. And this is not referring to the Holy Spirit, it's just our spirits being troubled And those who had come into the church saying something that wasn't true, saying the day of the Lord has already come and you guys missed it. Don't be troubled by spirit. Don't be troubled either by word. And this could refer to the spoken word. Teachers coming and saying that the day of the Lord had already come and that they're living in the tribulation. Uh, We're living in the millennial reign. There's cults that believe that even to this day. That's why it's so important for us as the church to be like the Bereans who, when they heard Paul teach the word of God, Acts 17:11 said they received the word with all readiness and searched the scripture daily to find out whether these things were so. They heard the word of God and then they searched the scripture. Is he correct? Is what he is teaching us, is that actually true? We need to be like the Breens as well. So they were not to be troubled either by spirit, either by word, or either by letter, as if from us, this seems that people were writing. Today it would be like, oh my God, did you get that email from Pastor John? And John didn't send an email, but somebody, you know, set up an account and made it look like I sent out an email. Paul, did you get that letter from Paul? Somebody sent a letter, circulated a letter about the day of the Lord, something that was in perhaps Paul's name. He said, don't be troubled over these things. And people are troubled. So the last probably 15, maybe 20 years, but 15 years for sure, and maybe stretching out to 20, it became very popular with the movies came out and that of the Da Vinci Code caused many people to question the validity of their Bible. And there are four main points that the Da Vinci Code challenged the Scripture over. And these areas are, one, they questioned the authority of the Bible that we have. Number two, they questioned the truthfulness of the four Gospels. Number three, they questioned the relationship of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And number four, they questioned the very deity of Jesus Christ. These questions have become 
these erroneous, these fraudulent letters or books, they are saying that there's more than 80 Gospels and that the people who compiled this Bible were very selective, only chose four Gospels that relayed the events that they wanted people to know. What they don't tell you is that most of the other Gospels, Scriptures that they talk about, they were written some two to three hundred years after the time of Christ. These were written within that first generation in the days of the early church. And so they don't tell you that, yeah, several hundred years had passed and Thomas wrote another gospel. It's like, well, Thomas was gone. So somebody put their name on the letter and said it was Thomas when it was not. They neglect to tell you that these so-called gospels are from the second and third centuries. What we have in the four Gospels of the Bible are two eyewitnesses, Matthew and John, and two who were close to these other eyewitnesses, John Mark. It's believed that he was a young boy and that maybe even he wrote himself in the story at the very end of his Gospel about a young boy that fled away from the Garden of Gethsemane when his clothes got ripped off him. So he says he fled away naked. Some believe that that was John Mark as a young boy that was close to it. But we do know that his uh, cousin was Barnabas. And we know that the church met in his house in the beginning. And then we have Luke, the great physician, not the great physician, but the physician who traveled with Paul and Silas. And so they were, if they weren't eyewitnesses, they heard from the eyewitnesses. They interviewed, like Luke, interviewed many eyewitnesses before writing the account that he has given us in the Gospel of Luke. So he says, as though the day of Christ had come, the church had not missed anything. They were thinking the day of the Lord has come and we missed it. And Paul's saying, no, you haven't missed anything. And the prophecies, though, are difficult understanding the day of the Lord. But it doesn't mean that we're not to be familiar with these passages, these prophecies, these teachings. We're to keep rehearsing them. The more we become familiar with them, the greater we'll be able to understand these events. I was thinking just now as I was saying that, the promised blessing that comes to us, in the book of Revelation, a lot of people say, well, I never read the book of Revelation. It's too difficult. I just don't understand it. Yet, in Revelation 1.3, the word tells us, blessed is he who reads, those who hear, those who, the words of this prophecy, blessed is he who reads, those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So maybe you don't understand But you read, and as you read, and as you learn to keep, the Lord can help bring understanding to us. So the Middle East, it is a prophecy update. I want to look at Israel and, you know, the last couple of years with all the crazy stuff going on in our own country, I got away from looking at Israel uh, during these prophecy updates because we had so much going on in our own country. But I want to go back to looking at Israel All eyes on Israel, and they still are to this day. There's been some uh, 
trouble between the Palestinians and the Israelis, and it's got gotten heat and heated up over the last week or so. It's been heating up. And this article headline says, Will Israel launch a broad IDF operation in the biblical heartland? And so this would be the area of Samaria is what they're talking about. It is increasingly likely that Israel and the Palestinian terror groups in Judea and Samaria are headed for a new major conflict. This conclusion can be drawn after another major Israeli military action in the Palestinian town of Jenin in northern Samaria and after tens of IDF incursions the way they worded that, that's how they worded it, after tens, so ten plural, after tens of IDF incursions into terror hotbed so far this year. Now it got a little more heated because four people were killed, severely injured in this title of this article is Israel mourns the name of four terror victims their names revealed and this um, was written today the article was written today and he says yesterday's attack so this happened yesterday four people were killed and severely injured in yesterday's terrorist attack the attack happened at a gas station near a Jewish settlement of Eli when two terrorists pulled up in a vehicle and opened fire they shot at the security guard who was moderately injured. They also continued their attack by spraying gunfire at nearby restaurants, including injuring five other people. And the names of the terror victims have been announced. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu commented today, saying, Today, next to the community of Eli, a shocking and abhorrent terrorist attack was perpetrated. From the depths of my heart, I send condolences to the families of those who were murdered. May God avenge them. And on behalf of the entire people, I send my best wish, wishes for a swift recovery to the wounded. I would also like to remind all those who seek to harm us. All options are open. We will continue to fight terrorism with full force, and we will defeat it. So that's going on. Uh, but also they're sparring with the U.S. over the biblical heartland. This is from this week, Sunday. On Sunday, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, in accordance to the coalition agreement, made Finance Minister, and it mentions the guy's name, a responsible for settlement affairs. Immediately, the government approved over 4,000 additional new housing units in the Jewish settlements in the so-called West Bank. I'm just This article is from Israel Today. And that's what set off the U.S. State Department, which responded with the statement expressing deep concern over this obstacle to peace as has long been has been long-standing policy the US opposes such unilateral actions to make a two-state solution more difficult to achieve and are an obstacle to peace so from the Americans perspective 
the Jews building homes in the heartland of Israel is an obstacle to peace. And then you have Iran at play. And the U.S., again, is in negotiations right now. This article is from the Times of Israel on June 18th. And Israel opposes any interim agreement between the U.S. and Iran. And Netanyahu again said on Sunday, our most important mission is to curb Iran's nuclear program. First of all, we oppose the original agreement, the 2015 agreement, which the U.S. pulled out of in 2018. We also tell the U.S. that even if many agreements, in our opinion, do not serve our goals, we oppose those as well. And so the U.S. is reportedly pledged to um, make agreements with Iran and the nuclear issue that's going on there, and they continue to kind of mess with those things, Israel's saying, not so fast, but the relationship with the United States and Israel isn't that great right now. Now, I wanted to end on a positive note. I briefly mentioned this, I think, last Sunday, but there was, it could have been, it was last Wednesday in our teaching I mentioned it, but I looked up a different article on it, but a 3,200-year-old curse tablet was found, and uh, it was found in March in 2022. They discovered this tiny 3,200-year-old folded lead tablet with an inscription that's thought to be the oldest known Hebrew writing ever found in Israel. Now, it's folded up and it's lead, so they had to, um, much like doing um, x-rays, they couldn't unfold it. They would have wrecked it. So they had to do x-rays, waves sent through it to get the imaging to get these words. And this is what was written on it. Cursed, cursed, cursed. Cursed by God, YHW. You will die cursed. Cursed you, you will surely die. Cursed by YHW, cursed, cursed, cursed. And this was found on Mount Ebel. And I'd mentioned that last week that uh, when Joshua went into the promised land, they were on two mountains, a mountain of blessing and a mountain of cursing. And this tablet was found on that mountain of cursing. It's 500 years older than any previously attested um, tetragram nation, the YHWH. So the name of God, which was written in three letters, YHW, this name on this tablet is 500 years earlier than anything else that they've discovered before. So kind of cool. Uh, they keep digging around. And actually, the article, it's not my notes here. They dug all this stuff up like in the 1980s, and they just had this pile of stuff from a dig from the 80s that they're sifting through right now. And so who knows what else they might find. Back to our text. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So apost apostasia is the word, 
It's ha apostasia, uh, what's translated as the falling away, and it refers to a defection, a departure from the truth or apostasy. And I think we're in a church age where we might see a falling away taking place. As the salvation of the Lord draws nearer and nearer than when we first believed, Romans 13:11, we do see uh, in apostasia. This has a definite article. How apostasia, so is the falling, this speaking of the falling away or just a falling away? Uh, the definite article, the, should be there. But we see churches today questioning what they should do with issues like marriage, divorce, premarital sex, LGD, LGBTQIA+. I have to keep looking that one up because they keep making the letters longer as they go. And the issue of abortion, etc., etc. All signs of the falling away. And sadly, many churches are departing for the word of truth. They are departing. They're giving in to some of these agendas from the radical left in our society. And there are churches there that maybe they hold true in some of these areas, but they're questioning whether Jesus is the only way to salvation. They're trying to build bridges to the society, saying, can't we just get along? Get along, And they're allowing the truth of the gospel to be compromised. And there are some who believe that Paul may have been referring to here this falling away, of the rapture, since the root of a pastia can mean uh, a departure, but although no doubt the rapture will trigger the coming of the last days, we find that Paul here, it seems that he's talking about the falling away of the church itself. When the falling away happens, the man of sin will be revealed. It's interesting, on Sunday we were talking about Jesus and calling himself in the Gospels 83 times the Son of Man. And then tonight we're looking at this, where the Antichrist is called the Man of Sin. I'd rather have the Son of Man than the Man of Sin. But personally, we find that God, and God alone, knows the day in the revelation of this hour, we are to live in expectation of these days. And no doubt, the rapture of the church will cause, if not millions, a billion believers from all around the world to be departing from a moment in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15:52. It'll leave the world in a state of chaos, calamity, and shock, and it'd be a perfect opportunity for the man of sin to stand up, someone to bring unity and peace, but we know the peace that this man will bring will be a false peace. As Daniel 9:27 tells us that he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week or seven years, and in the middle of that week he will bring an end to sacrifices and offerings. And he'll, on the wing of abominations, shall be one who makes desolate until the consummation is determined and poured out on the desolate. So those who oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God, 
that is worship. And so he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this abomination of desolation, he comes into the temple, the Antichrist. He shows himself to be God. He sits in the temple of God. All that is called God or that is worship. So God the Father and all the false gods in this world, the Antichrist, will oppose all religions. Today we live in a world where many feel that religion is the problem of this world. If we can just unite the world under one religion, ecumenical movement, that everything would be better. They realize that there's an issue with these many so-called gods that's worshipped on the earth. But Paul said, even with the many so-called gods, 1 Corinthians 8, 5, and 6, whether in heaven or on earth, many gods, many lords, yet for us there is only one God, one Father, of whom are all things. And we for him and the Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. There is only one God, one God, the Father, one Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So during the Antichrist reign, he will require worship from the world. During that time, the Bible tells us of those who don't believe in Jesus, that in Revelation 13:8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose name has not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All who don't believe in Jesus will worship this Antichrist. And during that time, the Bible tells us of those who do believe in Jesus. In Revelation 24, I saw the thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committing to them, committed to them. Then I saw... <clears throat> Sorry, that came out weak. Then I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received the mark on their forehead or their hand, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So those who do not believe in Jesus, they will worship the Antichrist, according to Revelation 13.8. Those who do believe in Jesus, they will be beheaded for their witness of Jesus, but they will be resurrected. They will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. So before we get to verse 5, let's look a little bit about what's happening in the United States. I'm only looking at two things. And we're 21 days today, 21 days into the LGBTQIA plus Pride Month. Seems like it's been going on for a year, but we're only 21 days into a one-month thing that lasts a year. And over the last few months, it seems that their agenda is being forced upon the population in our government, in our schools, in workplaces, in media, in retail stores, just to name a few. We've seen the pride flag hanging on the same level between two U.S. flags at the White House and at the close of Biden's speech on their Pride Day celebration. This is what Biden said. As I said, I mean this. I swear to God, you're some of the most, you're some of the bravest, the most inspiring people I've ever known. 
And I've known a lot of good folks. You set an example for the nation and quite frankly, for the world. You know we all move forward when we move together with your joy, with your pride lighting the way. So today, let us proudly remember those who are the United States of America. So pride now is to lead the way in our nation. And yet Proverbs 16, 18 still says pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. And here's an interesting thing that in what is known as the clobber passages of uh, the homosexual gay lifestyle in the Bible, they have seven clobber passages, the accounts of Genesis Chapter 19, we looked at Sodom a little bit tonight. That's known as a clobber passage. But when you read about Sodom in Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50, the Lord gives a different look at Sodom. He says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter, that would be Gomorrah, she and her daughter had pride. Interesting. There's that word again. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. They were haughty. They committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. So Pride Month and uh, baseball right in the middle of not quite the middle. The all-star break hasn't happened yet, but... I I saw yesterday, and I looked it up today again and confirmed it, that of all the baseball teams in the Major League Baseball, every single baseball park has had a pride night, except for one. I just might have to become a Texas Ranger fan. They're the only one that hasn't had a pride night, and the article said they likely won't have one for a long time. So it sounds like they are kind of... Locked in. The second thing I wanted to mention, on Friday, June 24th, 2022, so only a few days away from the overturn of Roe versus Wade and the U.S. Supreme Court and turning this issue of abortion rights back to the states, here's some of the headlines from the secular media, just the headlines not even looking at the articles, how Christian right took over the judiciary and changed America. Leaders of the movement understand very well, if you can capture the courts, you can change society. Now, that's true on both sides. And both sides want to capture the courts. That's why we have basically a two-party system. Another headline, the end of Roe v. Wade was a spiritual victory for the conservative Christians. Another headline, Roe v. Wade, the religious right has long influenced the law in the U.S. Here now, here's how abortion rights could be challenged elsewhere. Now those were all headlines from a year ago. This is a headline from this year. From today, CBS New Polls finds 
Most say Roe's overturn has been bad for the country. Half say abortion has been more restricted than expected. At the beginning of the year, in January, the White House had a statement about this, and this is what our president had to say. Now, this is several paragraphs, but it's not all that he had to say. So if you want to look it up, you can read the whole thing. And just go to the uh, White House, the proclamation of the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. So they were getting ready to celebrate 50 years of abortion, and it was overturned last year. But they're still, 50 years ago on January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court issued its landmark 7-2 decision in Roe v. Wade, protecting women's constitutional rights to choose. I could say so much about this, but I'll just read what was written here. This case reaffirms basic principles of equality, reinforced the fundamental right of privacy, resolved that women in this country could control their own destinies, making deeply personal decisions free from political interference. The court got Roe rights 50 years ago. It was a balanced decision with broad national consensus that the majority of Americans have continued to support for the last 50 years. And it was a constitutional principle upheld by justices appointed by the Democrat and Republican presidents alike. But seven months ago, a conservative majority on the Supreme Court overturned Roe. Never before has the court taken away the right so fundamental to Americans. In doing so, they put health and lives of women across the nation at risk on what would have been the 50th anniversary of protections under Roe v. Wade. My administration is resolute in its commitment to defend, defending reproductive rights and continuing our nation's progress toward equality for all. And then it closed with these words. Since the court's decision to overturn Roe, Americans across the country from California to Kansas to Michigan have made clear at the ballot box that they believe the right to choose is fundamental and should be preserved. Still, we know that the only way to truly secure the right to choose is for the Congress to codify the protections of Roe v. Wade. I continue to call on Congress to pass legislation to make those protections the law of the land once and for all. Until then, I will continue to use my executive authority to protect women and family from harm in the wake of the Dobbs decision. Now, therefore, I, Joseph R. Biden, Jr., President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution of the laws of the United States, I do hereby proclaim... January 22, 2023, as the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade decision, I call upon Americans to honor generations of advocates who have fought for reproductive freedom, to recognize the countless women whose lives and futures have been saved and shaped by the Roe v. Wade decision, and to march forward with purpose as we work together to restore the right to choose. So I went on the website of National Right to Life. I was looking for any news from a Christian perspective of lives that have been saved in the last year because Roe v. Wade was overturned. But I couldn't easily find that. 
I thought I would find it on the organization that's been around for 50 years, National Right to Life. But they did have this quick fact sheet on abortion on their homepage, and you can find it too. And this is what they listed out. An unborn baby hearts begins to beat in 18 to 21 days after fertilization. Brain waves can be detected as early detected as early as 40 days after fertilization. Since 1973, there have been more than 62 million abortions in the United States. Women have cited social reasons, not mother's health or rape or incest. That's usually the biggest argument for abortion. But 93% of all abortions are for social reasons. And January 2021 poll by the Marxist poll found 51% of Americans oppose legal abortions except in only three or fewer circumstances when the pregnancy results from rape, incest, or when it threatens the life of the mother. So our president says the majority of Americans support. What he doesn't say, they only support 51%. So that's a majority by this poll. But they support only with these conditions. And we know that's not the conditions that we have today. But that's a big deal, and we should not neglect to mention that lives have been saved. They're, you know, they talk about, from the left side, saving the life of the mothers, but they don't mention that child. Do you not remember? So we finish out in verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Do you not remember? So Paul was... Speaking about last day events when he was with the church in Thessalonica. And some people, in an attempt to win people to Jesus, will avoid talking about end time events, thinking that the gospel needs to be dumbed down, needs to be smoothed over, people won't accept it. And yet, Paul used last day events in part of his gospel message. He talked about the coming of the Lord. As he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and there we will always be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 and 17. Paul said in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4, to comfort number one another with these words. We're to be talking about last day events. And it used to be that it was customary at Calvary chapels to kind of talk about end time things once a year because that's what Pastor Chuck did. He always often brought it up during his teachings, but at the beginning of every year, he would specifically do a prophecy update. But for me, I've been trying to do them at least once a month to kind of keep our mind um, thinking about these things. Second, Paul's call to remembrance. It's actually a common theme in the Bible. Paul said, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So he's challenging them. Remember. Remember what I said. Exodus 13.3, Moses said to the people, Remember this day, which when you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, 
by the strength of the hand of the Lord that brought you out of this place. Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Numbers 15:39, they were to make tassels on the hems of their garments that they might remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. First Chronicles 16:12, remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders, his judgment, his mouth. Psalm 77:11 I will remember the works of the Lord surely I will remember the wonders of old Isaiah 46:9 Remember the former things of old for I am God there is no other I am God there is none like me Acts 20:35 Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive 2 Timothy 2.8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And Jesus said to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2.5, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or to the church of Sardis in Revelation 3.3, remember therefore that you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you as a thief, and you will not know the hour in which I come upon you. Thus, the call to remembrance is something that's found throughout all the Bible. We are to remember God's word and God's work that he does in our world and in our lives. So it's my prayer that we would be a people who are not afraid to search the scriptures, to be like the Bereans, to learn, to grow in our faith that we might share it with others. So our last headline, this is interesting. Coming to a church near you? I hope not. The title of this headline, AI-powered church service in Germany draws a large crowd. So this happened in Germany, and this article is from June 12th. On Friday, over 300 people attended an experimental chat GBT, GPT, sorry, I said that wrong, chat GPT powered church service at St. Paul's Church. The 40-minute sermon, this is the only thing I got out of it. If an AI can preach for 40 minutes, this man can preach for 40 minutes too. He preaches too long. Well, the computer did too. Anyways, in the 40-minute sermon included text generated by OpenAI's chat GPT chat box delivered by avatars on the television screen above the altar. The chat box initially personified as a bearded man with a fixed expression and monotone voice addressed the audience by proclaiming Dear friends, I guess that's not monotone enough. It is an honor for me to stand here and to preach to you as the first artificial intelligence at this year's convention of the Protestants in Germany. The AI could prove ideas for upcoming sermons. They're talking about the usefulness of AI for preachers. It could provide ideas for upcoming sermons. It could expedite a sermon writing process. AI, write me a sermon this week, please freeing up the pastor to devote more time to individual spiritual guidance. But the Bible did not say, Jesus did not say in Acts 1.8, 
computer, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. He said that to his church, to people. But there is going to be some kind of image. In Revelation 13, 15, it was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That image of the beast should both speak and cause many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. There is a coming image, the image of the beast connected with the Antichrist, and it will give power to speak. Could AI be a future image of the beast? I was listening to somebody yesterday. They said, make sure you get a paper Bible because it could be that our Bibles could go away if we're only using a Bible on the Internet or online, or they could be tweaked. A lot happening in our world, in Israel, in the United States, and even in the church. But know this. As we read earlier, as these things come upon us, it really means that the day of the Lord is getting closer and closer. And so, Father, we thank you for all that you have given us in your word. And, Lord, there is a lot going on in Israel, and we pray for those family members who lost loved ones over these terrorist attacks and just pray for your guidance over Israel and uh, wisdom and how to deal with the current circumstances happening in their own nation, how to deal with Iran, how to deal with the United States, many other nations of the world, Lord. But, Father, we thank you that your eyes are still upon the nation of Israel and your people. Here in the United States, Lord, we find a nation that is split, and there is a falling away taking place. As churches continue to shrink, church doors closing every week, and uh, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would pour out. Our church needs a revival, Lord, and I pray that you would let it begin in us. So bless us tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.